I think for anyone listening, there's just so many kinds of people that come participate here. Some people have significant breakdowns and money in different areas, and some people are already, you know, PhDs and money's handled and retired, and they're up for other conditions of life. But everyone comes here to satisfy and deal with some areas of life that they're wanting to work on. But I think the depth and breadth that we already have, and the continued depth and breadth of people, is why people are attracted to this. And I don't care who they are, we've all got stuff going on. None of us are perfect. Most of us, I think, at some level, have BSed ourselves into saying we're more satisfied than we are. And it's just really humbling to find such accomplished, successful people who are willing to just go, you know what, it's not it yet. I need something way more pragmatic, way more practical. I need an environment of people to call my tribe or whatever you want to call it that are going to raise me up to a level where I don't have to rely on myself to meet all my aims. I need help. I need help, exactly. The willingness to ask for help, and we're terrible at that. And when you're willing to ask for help, it's here in droves. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology, the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ventura, California, this podcast features case studies stories and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction, not only with their work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive. Our 2018 annual member conference in Los Cabos, Mexico, included a podcast episode dinner with a few members of our faculty. You'll hear Vice President Drew Knowles, Dr. Gary Ward, James Walls, Marnie Power, and Suzanne Poole, five people from five different countries, as we dialogue about why Influence Ecology has become their tribe and our speculation on the possibilities of the future and what may be in store for our education and its role in people's lives and society. Here's the interview. Thank you for being here for the dinner with the CEO. At the table, we have Suzanne Poole from London in the United Kingdom. We have Marnie Power from Charlottesville, Virginia in the United States. We have Dr. Gary Ward from Perth, Western Australia. We have Drew Knowles from Auckland, New Zealand. And we have James Walls from Singapore, all seated together. So we also have the unique opportunity to represent the world at the table. I hope you find that as moving as I do, given that eight years ago we said, hey, we should start this little thing called Influence Ecology. With that, thank you for accepting my invitation to dinner. I appreciate it greatly. Thank you. You're welcome. If you could each take a moment and just introduce yourself. My name's Suzanne Poole. I'm from London in the UK, currently sitting in beautiful Cabo at the annual member conference for 2018. 
And I first participated in Fundamentals of Transaction starting in April 2017. So I'm not quite a year into being with Influence Ecology just yet. But it has changed the way that I think about things from the very beginning. And that's why I'm here. Great. Well, thank you. Marnie. Marnie Power from Charlottesville, Virginia. I started participating, I look back, I think it was 2011. I work at the University of Virginia. I am a learning specialist and coach. I've been with UVA for about four years, but my love, my passion, my future, my everything is about influence ecology and what I've learned here and the people here. And I cannot imagine being anywhere else. Thank you. Gary Ward. I'm from Perth in Western Australia. I first participated in the Fundamentals of Transaction in 2013 and been at every annual conference since. I could give you a long dissertation about what I've done and what my accomplishments are, but perhaps we'll leave that for another occasion. But I think I said on my podcast that the first conference I came to, I realised I'd found my tribe and have been so impressed with this as a philosophical approach to life, as a way to accomplish greater aims in life, lofty aims. I've absolutely loved it and wanted to be part of it. And it's an enormous privilege to be here at this table with these extraordinary other people and, and to be a friend to you, John. Incredible privilege. Thank you. Likewise. My name is Drew Knowles. I reside in Auckland, New Zealand. I am a New Zealander, as you can probably tell from the accent. I first participated in the Fundamentals of Transaction program in 2011. Thanks to you, John. I'm sure there's been many other podcasts or things where you tell the story of what Kirkland said to you, and I think it was a similar conversation that you had with me about where I was at with things in life. I was in my early 30s, and I've had about 20 years now in training and education, starting in the health and fitness field, moving into more of the psychology and behavioral studies and delivering courses and programs all about empowerment and motivation and you know, helping people with leadership and relationships and then I specialised, thankfully, through Influence Ecology in the area of stress and how that affects people's mental performance and really got the opportunity to work with some high-level CEOs and executives of some of New Zealand's largest companies in my own consultancy practice before I got the offer from you guys to come on full-time as one of the partners and the vice president of Influence Ecology. So I'm now the vice president of Influence Ecology and it's just a real privilege. All right, good. And James? My name's James Waltz. I reside in Singapore, Singapore. I am a New Zealander and I was lucky enough to be introduced to Influence Ecology by Drew about four and a half years ago now when Drew, as a, an expert mind coach, was helping me through some fairly fundamental breakdowns in, in terms of stress and those sorts of things. So we did that for a year. That was at the time you were doing your FOT. That's right. It's just when I started it. And, and he was starting to say, hey, there's something more here. And at that time, I had completed my MBA as much as I was going to and really found that to be an academic piece of work that, that needed something else to apply. So he introduced me to the way you can apply all of that and actually get things achieved. And so that was the first part. Absolutely fundamental. And from that, what we've now done, we've now completed the curriculum. I think all three of us have been through fundamentals of transaction and mechanics and practice and 
and now completed MAP2 in time for this conference, which is just phenomenal. But I really could see two things. Firstly, the, the, the difference we can make in people's lives. And one of the reasons I love leading FOT is you get to about paper eight. And for some people, the light goes on and they take ground and things happen in their lives. And we go, wow, we've been able to be a part of that. And there's nothing as satisfying as that. And the other thing for me is that we can never stop learning. And to go back and lead FOT, it forces yourself to embed these distinctions. You've got to be genuine about what you're trying to talk about. So you've got to be able to demonstrate that. And that forcing yourself into that situation is, is for me, probably the best education I can get. So thank you. Thank you. For everyone in their journey, there's this moment, I'll say, that you go, wow, I think I want to be part of this tribe. And everybody that was at a different point. Now, first of all, I think it's useful to say that in general, if someone's wondering what's Influence Ecology, you could say, well, we're a private business academy for that specializes in transactional competence. And I don't remember any conversation with any one of you saying, hey, Marty, would you like some transactional competence? But here you are, and now we're all focused on that, and we just spent an entire day at conference on transactional competence. Drew, do you remember when you first had that, I think this is my tribe, this is where I want to spend my time, this is where I want to invest my aims or where I want to have my aims get met. Do you remember that moment? I do. As I said earlier, I, I really did use the fundamentals of the transaction program to focus and specialize and build a very successful consultancy practice, reasonably short-lived, but it was starting to make me some pretty good money, and I really thought that was going to be kind of what I continued down and all the writing I was doing around stress in the brain and starting to get a little bit you know, notoriety in that area as an expert in that, that way, which is what you teach at Influence Ecology is... You know, be the expert, be the specialist, be the name in the minds of your specific customer. And that was starting to happen. And then I was at annual member conference, and we're here at an annual member conference, 2013. It's 2018 now, so this is my sixth annual member conference. It was my very first. And I somewhere in mechanics and practice and delivering the fundamentals of transaction program training with you to deliver it. And so very green, you could say, still. And you were still delivering that while constructing the offer. Yeah, I had my own business. Yeah, my mind coaching, consultancy. Yep. Great. Basically, you and Kirkland were the only ones that were delivering the fundamentals of transaction at that point. And I think because of my background of 12 years or so of program delivery and everything, you saw me as a possible fit for having somebody else who could deliver it. And so part of my mechanics and practice was you you guys figuring out how to train someone. It would have been only three months into that because that started in October 2012 and it was January 2013. And I remember sitting in conference and it was either you and Kirkland or both of you. It was the first founder studies and we were in that tiny little room and you guys were just sort of practicing what you're about to deliver at conferences, sort of how founder studies started was, hey, let's test and practice and you'll get to get the distinctions a little early and we'll work through them together. It just got so rich as it does and the depth of the philosophy of transactionalism and my big commitment as it always has been in my life to helping people and making a difference, but not as practical as this. I'd come from a very, just empower someone and 
I don't know, make them feel great, but not like, no, do you have a clear pathway to your aims? And so I just remember thinking, what the hell is this stuff? Whatever it is, this transactionalism, I want in. I'm ready. And I said to Kirkland a few days later, I think right at the end of conference, I said, I'm in LA for a few days. I'd like to meet and talk about the future. And so he set up a meeting with me at Coffee Bean in North Hollywood, just near Kirkland's house. And we met there. And he tells me he thought I was a little bit flaky, which is no surprise, my performer kind of personality, the personality type we study. And wasn't sure about me when I came into conference, just thought I was a bit all over the place. And you knew me, but he didn't. And by the time I finished conference, he said, okay, there's something about this guy. Anyway, I went into that meeting with him and I practiced what he said. I wrote down what I want to hear him say. And I said, so what are you doing with this? Where's it headed? What's the future? What do you need? And he said, I don't have somebody to mentor, somebody to train who's much younger to fulfill on and follow through with the sort of legacy. And... I put my hand up, I'm, I'm that, and he goes, all right, well, you're going to have to come back to California and study with us, and he said, it was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, and I was like, I'll see you in July, and true to that, 28th of July, 2013, I rocked up to your office and in Ohio, California, in Ohio, California for three months, and the rest is history. This was my livelihood for many years, you know, it's just my, it's what I'm doing to make a living, we're starting a little training company, or we're starting a little educational company or something. And then suddenly you show up. It starts to, to represent for us the opportunity of people saying, hey, I want to be a part of this. I'd, I'd like to participate in this in some, in some ways. Andrew, you first and foremost demonstrated to us and still to this day demonstrate to us the kind of ambition that we can always point to and say, Drew is always on the, you're like a surfer. You're like on the very leading edge of the wave always saying, give it to me, let me have it, I'll take it, I'll run with it, can I lead, can I lead now, can I lead the whole thing, can I, each and every time, and uh, it's been, it's been fantastic, and I really do thank you for, for all that you've done to, to lead the charge that way, and when you went home and then told Paul, hey, we're going to go to Ojai, did you just think you were crazy? Kind of. Because I'd actually just, in the September the year before, I'd opened up my own office. I had a lease, I had this beautiful office, I had this big white couch that was like a shrink's couch so that my clients could like lie on it to create this environment. I mean, I'd invested a fair bit in it. And I came back and I went, I'm taking my entire business online after July. I just thought you were bonkers a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of caution, especially the more skeptical personalities of like, is this you just doing your thing again? Gary, did you have any of that too from yeah. people around you? You must be bonkers. Yeah. People around you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, must I mean, you know, it's it's what we all deal with when somebody in our lives kind of says, Okay, now look, what are you doing? What's going on with you? I, I think it's useful for people listening to begin to hear that this may in fact be a place they'd like to hang out. So I I get the moment right that it happened and what happened. But was it the practicalness that had you say, I'm in? Can you distinguish what that was? Yeah. The background of all the training I'd come from, and I'm grateful for all the type of training I did, but it just really fell short, for me especially, of so much possibility, so much enthusiasm, so much intention, and I can do anything, and just not grounded 
in reality about all that wonderful, inspiring sort of energy being directed and planned for in the right way and focused and having a pathway to money, work, career, aims across so many areas of life, I was just falling short and I didn't have a pathway. I didn't have an access. I had just a lot going for me is probably what I would say, but so not directed and I'm sure I would have wound up doing okay in in life. I'm pretty damn determined, but just not the kind of level of satisfaction. And that's what I saw. This is the real deal here. This is like, you don't get to pass go unless you can actually articulate the pathway to the satisfaction of aims across many areas of life. No BS. There's a lot of head nodding on that one. And so now I want to go to Marnie. I was finishing my graduate school and that I didn't finish until the end of 2012, and I started participating right before I finished. But you had called me a year before that, and we kept talking. Oh, that's right. We kept talking, I was like, oh my gosh, sounds brilliant, I'm getting my master's. I'm full-time working, I'm full-time in school, I can't do it. And then you called me again, and then you made me an offer, and at that point in time I said, okay, I'm at the tail end, I can do both. Crazy thing to have done, but I did it. So I finished my master's and started FOT at the same time. And your master's is in? Instructional design and technology. All right, good. So you finished that master's and you started the Fundamentals of Transaction. So for people listening, it's FOT, Fundamentals of Transaction. And we number them sequentially so everyone knows kind of where they fall in the year of, you know, Suzanne, you did FOT number... 50. (laughs) FOT 50, right? (laughs) Okay, so we purposely have done that so that people can always kind of go, okay, where, what do you know that I don't know and, and all of that? I called you earlier and then here we are again, we're talking. I made you an offer and then... And I accepted and I started FOT. And for me, it was somewhere around four months in, we started to talk about career. And at that time, I was in the sales profession in a profession that I was not proud of and never told anybody what I did. I, uh, I still am embarrassed to this day, but I sold timeshare. So I was a timeshare salesperson. Oh my God. I know, I know, it's highly embarrassing. I was very ethical in my sales and I, I led group presentations. So for me, I didn't have to do one-on-one sales where I had to you know, do a lot of BS with people. I really got to do group presentations, but this whole notion of your identity and your value of your offer to help. And I was thinking, I can't even tell people what I sell, much less how helpful I could be. And I remember calling you up and saying, John, I want to lead this stuff. What do I need to do? And you got me hooked up with a program called Leadership Intervention. Did some training and we revised the whole thing and created priority and practice. And I became the person that led priority and practice, which I think is a phenomenal program that I absolutely love. And for me, it fulfilled everything to be able to lead this education, be able to lead that kind of a program. It became mine. So I was able to create things with it and do some things with it. And that's when I knew. I knew in FOT that I wanted to be with this company and lead programs. But while I was leading priority and practice, that's when I got really clear that my future was here. There's some things for me to take care of, but this is where my future is. And it was crystal clear. So you said there was something about we were distinguishing or talking about career and that particular 
aspect of what yes. we teach. So what about that? It was just that you didn't want your identity yeah. to be known as a... As a timeshare salesperson. So my offer of help, my value, but all of my training was in making a difference. So 20 plus years in training and development of having experience like Drew of really making a difference. Yeah. And here I am selling timeshares. Now, I know that it made a difference for people in their vacationing, but that's not the kind of difference that I wanted to make. It was just really, really good money. So when we start to look at this whole idea of career, work, and money being separate, I was getting fulfilled in my money aims doing what I was doing, but I wasn't happy, I was suppressed, my career aims were not being met, work aims were, because I probably worked less than I've ever worked in my life, making three times as much money. So work and, and money were fulfilled, but career was not fulfilled, and I lost sight of the experience of making a profound difference in people's life. And when I came here, I saw FOT, you and Kirkland, making a profound difference in people's life. Not in the same way I used to, right. but there was an impact. And it was an impact that was clear. It was, you couldn't escape the impact that this education has on people's life. And I wanted that for my life, but I wanted to give that to others. I wanted to have that kind of experience in people's lives again. And I did that. I still do that. Priority and practice. Absolutely, you do. If you'd like to know more about Influence Ecology and our approach, you can register for free 30-day guest access. During this time, you can test drive our interactive webinars, online learning system, and private mentorship. Program participation is by application only, and successful participants earn candidacy into our advanced program tiers. Our members are an international assembly of ambitious professionals, business leaders, and executives from a variety of countries, industries, and cultures. To find out more, you can find a link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word AMBITION to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. Next in line was Gary. Any of a similar kind of story? Yes, I do. In lots of ways, very similar to Marnie. I work as a, as a doctor, and that's a pretty respected profession. Yeah. It's a great career. I was pretty satisfied with the money and the career. I was never quite satisfied enough with some aspect of the opportunity to make a difference. Like you, you always think that being a doctor, you make a profound difference in people's lives. And there yeah. are times when you do. You save people's lives and you, you know, deal with a lot of their suffering. So, you know, I, I love that. But for some reason, I've always wanted to do a little extra. And I'd, you know, I'd heard about this other education that I then participated in. And love that, but like a lot of other people's experience was, while it satisfied some conditions of my life, like making a difference for people, it was not very helpful to my relationship. It took me away from, from Claire a lot. And it often involved a, a high level of stress, a high level of you know, anxiety about achieving some result, some measurement. You know, it wasn't, wasn't really great for my health. I'd you know, yeah. stay up late, I'd be working long hours. I'd, so yeah, my health was, was not supported by that. So someone who, um, you know, like the rest of you, I mean, Susie, Susie Atwell, Atwell called her. me up one day out of the blue and said, Gary, there's this 
open training coming to Perth. It's this company called Influence Ecology. There's this amazing guy from America coming. His name's John Patterson, and he's incredible. And this company's been created just a few years ago. And there's this guy called Kirkland Tibbles. And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's a, that's a funny name. I can accept John Patterson, but... Anyway, so I, I came to the training, and, and uh, as I have been in the past, a little... You know, there's a little sceptical side of me, and you know, I'm, I'm the doctor, I've got a reputation to maintain, and for me, the sense prior to coming to Influence Ecology was that I'd kind of been caught up in something, and that was Claire's impression, that I was kind of taken away yeah. by, by something that was, and it was, it was like a passion for, you know, it was like a calling that I needed to follow this and I've got to make this difference and, you know, it's going to transform the world and <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. When I'd completed that, I was kind of left with a bit of a void in a way. Um, but when I heard the presentation from you, it was like, oh, this is, this, is, this is interesting, but I'm not ready to join anything else just yet. Sure. You know, I don't want to join something. <laughs> and Claire was quite wary of it as well. Yeah, so the next time there was an open training in Perth, uh, Susie invited me again, and I was obviously intrigued the first time. At one of them, you did the exercise in which you separated everyone in the room into the four transactional personalities. And that was a moment where I went, oh, wow, this, I can see that. I can see those performers over there, all bright and chirpy and, and those judgy kind of people looking all grey and serious. And um, so I think that was a moment where I went, yeah, I want to participate in this. And I think the second time you came back, I was ready to sign up already. And, and then went through FOT and just loved it and started to apply it to some of the aspects of my life. And I think the moment was when we were presented with the opportunity to register for conference. And I was like, well, this sounds exciting. I'll, you know, let, you know, I said to Claire, let's go. Let's go to, uh, to Los Angeles and go to Ohio and go to the conference. And it was at that first conference I went to. I think that was the moment where I had that experience of, wow, I found my tribe. And meeting people like, I mean, the person that came to my mind when I was thinking of this was Anna Belayev, who's not here now. But I remember, you know, I started to talk about the kind of medicine that I saw that I could offer to people, which is kind of beyond the everyday, just treating people in Perth. Medical knowledge applied to, or a more holistic perspective of medicine in which yes. you not only deal with people's breakdowns, but you deal with, with building some surplus in their health. And she said to me, if you ever get that program sorted, I know some very wealthy families in the US who would be interested in this. So call me when that's done. And I was like, wow. You know, she uh-huh. talked about you know, being in touch with some of the wealthiest families. And yep. So I uh, had that experience of being surrounded by an incredible body of uh, incredibly smart, accomplished people who, who were there to accomplish their own aims, but as well and almost equal to their own aims were there to help other people. Mm-hmm. And, and that blew me away. And, and I think that was, prob- that was probably the moment where I was like very clear that this was something I wanted to be part of. Excellent. All right, very good. And next in line was James. What was the, the moment that you said, this is my tribe? Part of the way through doing FOT, we had the first mid-year conference in Auckland. Ah, yeah. That I attended. And to walk into the room on day one to see you at the front, 
as a, a striking and somewhat intimidating figure. <laughs> that cracks me up. I know me. As a, as a just, just a, but the, 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 this whole oozing competence. It's not oozing confidence, but oozing competence. Ah, okay. And that's, and, and to me, that's an intimidating thing because I was looking. I mean, the whole reason for looking at this was to understand what elite performance looked like. Yes. So to walk into that room, and to have you doing that, to have Drew doing what he does, which I'd already experienced. And then to see a Lisa Baptiste, to see a Natalie Martini, to see yes. a Paul Rossi in action. And I went, wow, there's a game here, and I better step up to this game. So it, it really appealed to that side. And then to go to annual member conference, and to have those people in support, when you're confronted with a Peter Burgraff and a Joanna Burgraff and a Troy Frost and a, and a Paul Delano and... and uh, Angela. And Angela Mahar and, and a Marcus Bell. You know, mm, yeah. you know, to, to, to have Marcus Bell stand up to Kirkland when Kirkland says, you dress like that. And you say, I don't know, this is what my stylist <laughs> chose for me. <laughs> this is the surplus I have. <laughs> yeah. um, that, was, that was it. And it, it's to lift up to that level and to be held held to account to that level and to learn from that level and to be part of that level that's the tribe for you it was about the tribe itself the ecology itself and that and being elevated to some level of competence and you saw the competence in the room and so forth for you marnie it was the identity that you feared you might have if you didn't alter it <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, for you, sound, Gary, you sound like you saw a pathway to satisfy an aim you've had for medicine, that medicine could be preventative or that health could be preventative rather than perhaps the model that it's been, something like that. A more holistic view, I, I think it is this health, happiness and prosperity is important yes. for people's health. So I think it was that I was keen to do more than just take care of people's health. And then for you, Drew, it was something to do with that you saw a pathway, clear-cut pathway to satisfy your aim. Just do this, and I will satisfy my aims. Yeah, if I can be part of this, and I have a piece of it, because of what I would have to be occupied by and delivering it and everything, yeah, just all of my conditions of life. And as we teach, you need to have a primary business offer that can satisfy all of your aims. And that's what dawned upon me. But there was also the aspect for me of I'd spent so much of my life studying the physiological aspect of human beings, the biological aspect, the linguistic nature, and the way I kind of used to talk about it was I found this third domain or third dimension of our humanity or our, you know, being human, which was this transactional nature. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty adept and steeped and very competent at teaching people or training them in the biological and linguistic you know, parts of their being human. And it was just like this natural extension that I didn't even know existed of those domains to now add to my whole, I suppose, depth of learning and to get to teach that. Because you cover the other two anyway in the studies of transactional competence. So there was that side of it too. And then there comes Suzanne. We've heard different you know, reasons that people now are that they found their tribe, different aims altogether different, I mean, t totally different aims, yet all satisfied through a particular process. So for you, what, what had you say, this is my tribe? 
Um, for me, it's really about the content. It's, I've never come across something that expands the view of life and participating in the world to make a difference, as other people have alluded to. But from a very intellectual perspective, I'm a lawyer by training. I like to think that I'm relatively intelligent. And a very successful lawyer. And I've had a good career. I have a degree from Cambridge and I'm an accomplished lawyer in London and I've had a good career. I always found that my intellectual needs weren't properly met and stimulated by any of the education that I was participating in prior to Influence Ecology. And from the first moment of starting FOT, I was reading through some of the content and I was looking at it and I said, I understand what each one of those words means individually, but collectively I do not understand what these sentences mean. And that doesn't happen. I draft contracts for a living. So writing complicated sentences and interpreting them is something I'm skilled at. So I was struck by how is it possible, like, what is this that these words collectively do not make sense to me? And I was like, that's interesting. And like some of the others have mentioned, I then came to my first mid-year conference in Tucson, Arizona in the summer when I was about halfway through FOT and just the quality of the people in that environment, the conversation that you and I had, John, on the, before the conference started that first night was what had me say, this is more than just something I want to study. This is something that I want to stick a flag in the ground and say, I support this and I want to see this grow and get involved in this. So... Mm. The intellectual stimulation and then the expansion that comes in an ambitious group of people because I don't know many environments where it's possible to stand up and say, you know what, I'm driven, I'm ambitious, I have aims in life and I seek to fulfil them and I'm looking for help and I'm also willing to help others in support of those aims mm. and that's a community to be part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's why. Fantastic. I have... Some other questions, but is there anything that you guys want to ask one another or any response that you have to anything that anyone else said? The thing that strikes me is that there's, there's two sides to the same coin. This tribe notion is either driven aims cause you to find the tribe or the tribe enables you to distinguish the aims. Yeah. It is something like the lofty aim that I see from a philosophical perspective, like a context for living life, that if this philosophy was out there more in the world, would make a massive difference. Why do you say that? I mean, because I I don't disagree, and I think everybody at the table might say, well, I agree with that statement, but why would you say that? The, The way I see it is that many people can accept, if you're in a conversation with them, that we we are a critter in the environment where we are biological we rely on the environment it doesn't take long to persuade people that that's what we are we're not that different to the other creatures and then that one of the things that gives us success as a species is the linguistic nature of it but then to have it illuminated how much we are reciprocal in nature we exchange animals and part of our success as a species is because of that but i think it's for me it's like it's unconscious and to have heard the constructed narrative that there was a time when we operated to get what we wanted by self-acting, praying to the mountain gods or whatever, viewing everything as you know, being imbued with spirit that you had some command over, to moving to an interactional model, which is kind of where I see we are now, that politics and the way 
families often operate and husbands and wives op often operate is in, a, in an interactional mode of operating. To have as the basic way that human beings consciously operate is through transaction, where there's a reciprocal nature where everyone in the transaction wins, would transform the world. <laughs> so, it's got a big picture, I know. Absolutely. Any other things anyone wants to say or ask of one another? I wanted to touch on what Gary said, which is that for me, one of the things that I find most fascinating about participating with influence ecology is the, the understanding that we're not all good at everything and we don't need to be good at everything. We don't need to be super talented and special at everything. We all have unique abilities in recognizing what our unique abilities are and our personality strengths are and focusing on those that enables us to fulfill our own aims and and acknowledge that others have their own aims and it is transactional so it stops being a you and me scenario but a we scenario where everyone recognizes each of our individual abilities and unique strengths and works together to produce a bigger better more effective whole and that for me is what is transformative about what we do in influence ecology that recognition the corporate world likes to talk about working in teams but actually <clears throat> silos are the more kind of common mentality and everyone is responsible for their little bit and they don't talk to anybody else and actually the recognition that things move in a circular way and everyone has a part to play in that revolution and it is a revolution literally is what makes influence ecology different from anything else I know of anyway. I'm grateful for the founders' diligence in, in pursuit of the thinking. Thank you, and it leads me to the next piece, which is because this is transactional, in other words, it's not me saying to you, this is where we're going. <laughs> it's us in a dialogue to discover or perhaps inquire into what are the possibilities for this education in the world and how might we utilize it and where might we take it? So we're always in a discourse with you. And so this next question really is, where do you see this thing headed? Currently right now, just to give people a sense of influence ecology, we have members participating in 15 countries around the world. There are people that are participating in webinars and listening to podcasts in 64 countries around the world. We have enough people participating to start a small academy or college or university. In your view, where do you see this headed in the next three, five, ten years? And perhaps even what might your role be in that? What do you see about the future and this education? There's very few people currently that participate in Europe that know about influence ecology. It is growing, but it's not something that's known in the current, as yes. we say, in the European marketplace. And 18 months ago, the UK voted to leave the European Union for whatever reason, and that's progressing. And so Europe is dividing. I see the expansion of influence ecology making more people aware of transactionalism as a philosophy and a way of thinking about human relationships will make a difference to Europeans in the world and I stand by that. I'm developing something myself that's unique to me but then also working with influence ecology. I would like to see transactionalism 
become a predominant conversation in the mid part of the 21st century. It's the prevailing discourse for what it is to be human. That would be a conversation worth having that would, as a few of us have said, be transformative in a way that I think possibly the United Nations was conceived of in the 40s but never really fulfilled that aim, where people come together with a commonality and respect for difference. Mm. It's great that you're thinking on the development of the philosophy because that's the opposite of where I go. I want to develop the application. There's brains much greater than mine around this table and around the ecology who are developing the philosophy. I want to see it put into practice. And what I've seen through my own experience is my pathway to help make the world a better place is if people are satisfied in their biology and their work, their money, their career, and at what we call the biological and linguistic conditions, then they start to think about how am I going to leave this world? How am I going to develop it? What's the legacy for a better life for those I care about? And so while you can translate the big picture, and that's hugely needed, I always see my part in this in terms of saying, okay, so now what do we do with that? Yes. <laughs> let's take it somewhere and let's teach people. Teach them how to fish. And that's, and I also see with you and Kirkland, those two sides to that. Oh my gosh, Absolutely. I look forward to working more closely in your domain. It's great that we've got it taken care of by so many people in each of those different nuances. I'm inspired, Suzanne, by what you said. Deeply inspired by what you said. And then I'm deeply inspired by what you said, James, because both represent parts of the transaction cycle that are important. Us inventors can kind of see the big picture, but it's like, well, we've just got to get it done now. We want to see it happen. Yeah. Being so entrenched in the organization and one of the partners of the company and being so inside it in that way and seeing it in the last five years, for me, being responsible for the sales in our company and the business side of it, I'm always inspired by the philosophy and transforming countries and people and everything like that, but I've become such a pragmatist. I see it as we'll be expanding enough that we need either bricks and mortar or agencies or whatever it might be where as the form of our philosophy, which is, you know, you're an organism in an environment and you're a co-constituent element of that and you rely on your environment, having a virtual education is great because so many people can participate and it's low cost, but there's so much value in local areas, local environments, as you heard everyone say about coming to conference. So I think conference has been the only place really where people could get that. So where I see it headed is local areas having places where people then come together and transact there's that side of it then I think it would need to get into an institutional level either academic or some form of a place where people can go study it generally but not the kind of intense business education we teach where it's so consequential like they're just going to study transactionalism and the philosophy and it's well applied but not necessarily like the kind of way we teach it now And then there's this other mentioning I have, which is quite personal. Some years ago, through Influence Ecology, I realized I've got such a utopic view of how I'd love to have every person on the planet happy and transformed. I think, Gary, you and I are sort of cut from the same cloth in that way. We'd love to touch everybody, you know, deep in our heart. And I tried that. I mean, I really was, and it 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 was fulfilling, but it just, it 
sort of seemed impossible. And then I thought, well, what if I was able to really influence major influencers? So people who have a role or like a CEO or someone who they do impact. And what if I could mentor them or coach them or train them, which is a little bit what I got to do prior to influence ecology. So I also see for a much faster uptake and maybe a tipping point or a, a viral type uptake is if at some point we do get hold of or we're allowed to work with some key leaders, politicians, and not, it's like we won't really be the ones that are acknowledged for it, or we will, but that it'll be coming out of their mouth in the media that they're, like, that was so not transactional the way that politician did that. And people are like, what the hell is that leader saying? They're doing such a good job, so what is this thing? And so sort of a business arm of Influence Ecology, the institutional, academic, university, whatever it is, and then, like, the, the key players that we're actually the specialists who train them, but they're the mouthpiece for for us. That's just uh, one thing I've sort of imagined. Great. Very similar to some of what you've said. I've envisioned that. I look at things, and I don't even know every direction we're heading, but I also see there's a whole social aspect that we can work with people that are working with those that don't know what their aims are, those that are underprivileged, that don't have some of the opportunities. And what would it be like if they learned transactionalism? And they started to do those kinds of things. So I look at transactionalism as an academic institution. Personally, I'd like it at UVA, but we'll continue that different conversation elsewhere. And then I do see what we're doing in terms of training people that are ambitious adults. But there's another population that I think as we expand, that because we're so great at working with ambitious adults, that maybe we can work with some of those who just don't have the same opportunities. And what that would be like those that are underprivileged but ambitious, but they don't even know they're ambitious because they don't have the same opportunities we've had. And finding some of those and the impact that those folks can have in the world. And this comes back to environment and tribe and and developing somewhere where people can develop. And also, as we say, everything becomes obsolete. You know, all specialized knowledge eventually will start to become general. I think what we don't realise, what we don't know, what we might reflect on in later years is that we all became specialists in transactional competence and transactionalism as people who started it. But it'll have to trickle down. If we want it to become a thing that people just transact, it'll have to become more general. And maybe people won't do it or be transacting at the level, say, we do, because we're the specialists. I can't imagine what it would take to try and get the kind of volume of people we're imagining, but I would love to think that transactional competence or transaction could become general knowledge of sorts, which sounds like we'd never want it to become general knowledge because then we'll be out of business, but I don't think so because there'll be the levels at which you can apply it that really satisfy lofty aims, but how about to what you were speaking to, Marnie, of it could really generally help people if they even just got a little taste of it and knew... We're transacting and we're in an exchange right now, so how about you, you know, don't behave that way or something, you know, but it's, it's from a more transactional perspective. Mm. I can see similarities in medicine. Is, you know, there's general knowledge that health includes a whole lot of structures in your body. What's been learned in the medical discipline is now general knowledge about there's a heart here and most people are a bit vague about where the parts of the body are, but they've got a general idea that there are right, bits yes. to the body. If it starts to break down, where you go to is an expert, a medical practitioner. 
within the discipline of medicine, there are subspecialties as well. So I, I can see you know, that opportunity for us to be specialists in transactionalism. While most people operate you know, as transactionalists, there would still be breakdowns and they'll need specialised help to solve some problem from a transactional perspective in a big organisation. Well, in my personal aims, I'm, I'm 55 years old and in 10 years, I plan to retire. Maybe five. I don't know, whatever it might be, but at some point I plan to retire. And in that, I only mean that I plan on no longer working in the way that I am now. I cannot imagine spending the rest of my life, you know, fishing. (laughs) Uh, That isn't ever the cloth I was cut from. But as I sit here today, I am extremely grateful that something we started eight years ago has already taken such ground and that in five years or in 10 years, I completely trust that it's in the right hands. It's in the right hands already. And I know there are many people not at this table to acknowledge for their contribution to this. There are many people not at this table to acknowledge for all they've done to expand what we do, to teach what we do, to introduce this to communities and places around the world. But I'm happy, and I know Kirkland, if he were here, would be very, very grateful for your contribution to the future of this endeavor. So I thank you for the future you've envisioned and for the work you'll unfold in all the ways that this will begin to ripple on out into the world. So I thank you for that. It deserves a toast. I think that does deserve a toast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as always, there may be something I didn't ask or something you'd love to say. I just want to give you a moment to say anything else if you'd like to about anything. In the vein of some of the things that we've been talking about, I had an experience building my own competence and meeting my aims with, with health. I ended up sponsoring our cycling club as part of getting into that and creating an environment in which I was compelled to meet my health aims. One of the consequences of being able to do that was that as sponsor, we introduced our company's favorite charity and unbeknownst to me, met an unrealized aim for the club to have a greater purpose. So we've now got a situation where the cycling club has put not an insignificant amount of money through very quick fundraising towards helping communities in Africa through providing industrial strength bicycles to children to get to school and to parents to get to market and things like that. And I'm now seeing members of the club picking up on that charity with their own endeavours to raise funds that aren't prompted by us. We always say it only takes one transactionalist. And that to me was, was stunning that, that I was able to make a difference in a way that I hadn't contemplated because other people caught on to an aim that they hadn't realised they had. To me, that's the power of what we're doing. That's very cool. Marnie? I think one of the things that I so appreciate about this education and I so love, and we've talked about it, we've alluded to it, is it rests on the transactional behavior and personalities. But it's so much more than that. It's an opportunity for somebody to do the thinking, the work, to get clear of what they want in their life. And people don't do that. That's not something that people commonly spend a lot of time getting clear. And then 
in getting clear saying, you know what, what I'm doing now isn't right. This isn't it. I need to invent something different. And you come into influence ecology and you're accepted. You're a different personality. It's accepted. It's, it's appreciated. It's acknowledged. It's loved. You don't have to be anything other than you. And there's not a lot of places where you get to just go be you. And when you're not being you, somebody points and says, I'm not so sure about you. <laughs> that's not quite you. I mean, you once said to me, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that's really you. That just seems like more like your past education coming in. And I got challenged to think that's not experienced anywhere. If people woke up to this, there's a lot of people who wouldn't do what they're doing right now. They would realize this is not the right job. And no wonder I'm suffering because they're trying to get me to do producer work and I need freedom and I need to be able to go be with people. And they want me to do paperwork and transactional paperwork. And to get that, it's priceless. It really is priceless. And that's the other stuff I like about our education. Great. Anything else for you? I think for anyone listening, there's just so many kinds of people that come participate here. Some people have significant breakdowns and money in different areas and some people are already, you know, PhDs and money's handled and retired and they're up for other conditions of life, but everyone comes here to satisfy and deal with some areas of life that they're wanting to work on, but I think the depth and breadth that we already have and the continued depth and breadth of people is why people are attracted to this. And I'm the one that gets to talk to them a lot. As you know, John, we get potential new customers and I don't care who they are, we've all got stuff going on. We're all, none of us are perfect. Most of us, I think, at some level, or have BSed ourselves into saying we're more satisfied than we are. And it's just really humbling to find such accomplished, successful people who are willing to just go, you know what, it's not it yet. I need something way more pragmatic, way more practical. I need an environment of people to call my tribe or whatever you want to call it that are going to, like you said, James, just raise me up to a level where I don't have to rely on myself to meet all my aims. I need help. I need help, exactly. The willingness to ask for help, and we're terrible at that. And when you're willing to ask for help, it's here in droves. I think it's a great place to stop. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share it with others. You can share it from our website at influenceecology.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any place you get your podcasts. If you haven't yet offered a rating or review, I ask that you take a moment, go to our website or iTunes, and let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to another great episode of the Influence Ecology Podcast. I'm your host, John Patterson. My special thanks to James Walls, Dr. Gary Ward, Suzanne Poole, and Marnie Power for their help with this interview. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with them and all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. This podcast is made possible by the brilliant work of the Influence Ecology staff, mentors, and members around the world. We're grateful for co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and his 30-plus years of specialized study and practice that make all this possible. This episode was produced by Jason Kelly, who also serves as editor and music supervisor. Also to acknowledge for this episode are Tyson Crandall, Carol Gregory, Jack Nesbitt, Johnny Ortez-Tibbles, Liz Smiley, and Linda Roberts.